Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke, chapter 9. And let me explain the sermon this morning and this evening. Uh, My wife and I and others among us, the Buckners, Antoine, we had the privilege of being at the Reformed Baptist Family Conference in the latter part of the week, the second half of this week down in a conference center down outside of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. The conference was put on by the Grace Baptist Church of Carlisle. There were about 250 brethren there of like faith. 20 churches represented, and it was a time of great fellowship, encouragement, and blessing to be at such a place once again. And Jeremy Walker from Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley, England, he was the main speaker. He gave four messages, and the theme of those four messages were traveling along the way the Christian life as we travel on the way to heaven. That was the general theme. And so because my time was taken up there, what I plan to do, Lord willing, this morning is to preach from the notes that I took from the first two messages, and then, Lord willing, this evening to preach again from the, my notes from the second of the four messages, the last two messages. So... If you hear things this morning, illustrations, structure of the sermons, this is Jeremy Walker, uh, his notes that I took from that message. So we will read, there's two passages that we want to look at, one in each sermon, and the first passage here comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And I'll read, beginning at verse 18, down through verse 36. Verse 18, and it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them, to, to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever wishes, whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awakened, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And it came about as these were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. And so Jesus here in this passage, he tells us the terms of following him as the Savior, the narrow way that leads to eternal life. What are the terms? What is that way really mean? Verses 23 through 26, Jesus here gives us those terms. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus tells us here some very important things concerning the way to heaven. Christianity is more than just a little religion. Christianity is much more than just tacking on church services to our otherwise worldly and self-centered life the rest of the week. If we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, followers of his way, then the Christian life is a life of self-sacrifice rather than self-service. It is a life of cross-bearing, as he says in verse 23. The cross is a an object, a instrument of death. It is a way of death, and every Christian must take up his cross and follow Jesus, follow him as a cross-bearing disciple. Now, when Jesus speaks here of the cross, he does not mean the ordinary troubles and trials that come upon us in this life because we live in a fallen world. He speaks specifically of those sacrifices 
those persecutions, those losses and trials that will come on us because of our allegiance and our commitment to follow Christ. He does not mean we go out and find trouble for ourselves or create some kind of suffering for ourselves as Christians, but if we are those who are committed to following Jesus, if we keep his commandments, if we walk in his ways, if we follow his word, if we identify ourselves with him, if we witness and speak of him in this world, then sufferings and trials will come upon us. That's the cross that Jesus speaks of here. If we truly follow him with all of our hearts, the trials, the cross will come to us most definitely in this life. If we stay close to him and walk with him, the cross will come. He gives a very broad invitation here in verse 23. It is an invitation. He says, if anyone, if anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to be saved, if anyone wishes to know my salvation, they must come after me. And then he gives the terms of our attachment to him. He says, you will need to die to yourself. He died for us, as he mentions, he's looking forward to his own cross there in verse 22. The Son of Man will suffer many things. He will be rejected. He will die upon a cross. He is the one who came to die for us. And so we must also die to ourselves, our wills, and our own ways. We must take the old man of sin and have him put to death. We must dethrone ourselves from the throne of our own hearts and enthrone Jesus Christ in our hearts. There are many idols that come along in life. We must do this daily. We must take up our cross daily. There are idols. The world is filled with idols. And the world is always presenting new idols to our hearts. And the world is always telling us these are the idols that you must serve to be happy in this world. We must take those idols and take them down from our hearts, dethrone them and put Christ as the only true and living God and the only one who can give us true happiness. We are to live like him and follow his life in the gospel It is a one-way journey to death. That's what he's speaking of here. Take up your cross and follow me daily. It is a one-way journey that ends in death like him. For the unbeliever in this world, he is motivated by his own self, by his own wishes, his own desires. What self desires is what guides him and moves him in everything that he does. But the believer dies to self daily. That is the Christian life. In verse 24, he says, Whoever who wishes to save his life, whoever wishes to save his life, what he means is whoever wishes to have the things of this world And whoever commits himself to live for the comfort and for the approval of this world, the applause of other men, 
the things that the world offers, whoever wishes to save his life, whoever wishes to have the very best things now, what will happen to that man or woman? He will lose his life in the end, which means that he will come to an eternal destruction. If you have your ways and your life, which is contrary to Jesus Christ now, you will perish in the end. Whoever wishes to save his life, he will lose it, is what Jesus is saying. But in the end of verse 24, but whoever loses his life for my sake, what he means there is that whoever takes up his cross, whoever is willing to follow me, by a life of faith and obedience to all of my commandments committed to me, whoever loses his life for my sake, for the gospel's sake, he is the one who will ultimately save his life and he will have eternal life in the end. In the beginning of verse 24, he speaks of those who wish to save their life. They only wish to save it. They only have desires to save it, to have happiness here, but they will never really achieve it. At the end of the verse, he speaks of those who act, who willingly, voluntarily, voluntarily, purposefully lose their life for Christ. They are the ones who gain eternal life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the Christian life. The world is crucified to me. As I look at the world and what the world has to offer, it is nothing more to me than a dead corpse hanging upon a cross. It is as if it is crucified to me. I see no, atta- no attraction to it. No desire for it. But Christ and his cross is the great attraction and desire of my life. So it is a paradox that Jesus speaks of here in verse 24. The paradox is that if we live now for the things of this world, we die later. But if we experience death now to the things of the world, then we shall have life later. A paradox, a contradiction. Life now will bring you to death later. Death now will bring you to life eternal. He says in verse 25, What is a man profited as he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? What what does a man gain if he were to gain the whole world? No man has ever gained the whole world. Elon Musk is a man with billions and billions of dollars. And maybe he is the richest man in the world, a man like Elon Musk or a man like Bill Gates. How much of the world do they really own? A very, very small portion of the world. Alexander the Great and the great kings of the earth, they have never conquered the whole world. No man has ever had the whole world. But Jesus speaks of a man. What if a man were able to obtain everything in the entire world, but then in the end he loses his soul? What gain would he have from it all? 
He would have eternal torment and agony. He would have nothing. He would have to lose everything that he ever gained in this world. And then he would enter into eternal darkness. What profit could there ever be in such a thing? What if a man were to get everything he wanted in this life? So let me ask you this morning, especially if you are not a Christian, let me ask you, what if you were to obtain everything that you ever wanted in this world and you gained all its pleasures and all your wants And then you ended up in hell forever. What profit would there ever be for you? When everything is all swept away on the last day, what would you have left? You would have nothing. It's a terrible, tragic bargain that people make in this world. They live for the things of this world, which are passing, empty, And can never fulfill the soul. They try to gain all they can in this world. But then they lose everything in the world to come. And that's the terrible bargain. It is better to live for Jesus. And to follow him with all your heart. To repent of all your sins. To believe on the Lord Jesus. And come to him. And know him through the scriptures. And follow him with everything, with all your heart, and serve him, whatever loss it may bring to you in this life, whatever trouble you may have to go through, it is worth it in the end when he brings you into eternal life. Jesus speaks in verse 26 of the day of judgment. He is going to ascend into glory. He will return in his second coming in glory and the glory of the Father, and the glory of all the holy angels who will be with him, and every man and woman will stand before him on that great day. And what will happen to you when that great day comes? Will you have lived your life as one who follows Jesus with all your heart? Or will you find yourself undone because you have loved this world more than Jesus and you were unwilling to own him and to be attached to him in this present life? We need to, all of us, check ourselves because it is very easy for us to find ways of compromise in these things, compromise with the things of the world find ways in which we study how we can avoid sacrifice, how we can keep ourselves away from the trials and the troubles of attachment to Jesus. We ought not to live that way. We ought to live always serving him with every part of our being. In verse 23, the man who wishes anyone, anyone may come to Jesus. Anyone wishes to come can come and follow him, but he must deny himself and take up his cross. The person who does not take up his cross 
is the one in verse 24 who wishes to save his life and he shall lose it. And the, the one who wishes to save his life in this world, he is the one who seeks to gain the world in verse 25. And he is the one in verse 26 who is ashamed of Christ and his words. He is ashamed to own Jesus in this world and ashamed to follow him and keep his commandments. And when Jesus comes again, he will be ashamed of him. But the one who in verse 23 denies himself and takes up his cross. He is the one in verse 24 who loses his life for Christ's sake and he will save his life. And he is the one who is not ashamed of Christ in verse 26 to own him and his words in this evil world and Christ will not be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. So I imagine that the disciples must have wondered here after they heard these words of Jesus, what does it mean to have one for one to save his life? What does it mean? What is this glory that Jesus is speaking of when he says he will come in his glory in verse 26? Then Jesus, what Jesus does is he gives a demonstration, it seems, of these very principles in the following verses, verse 28 down through verse 36 in the transfiguration. What is the glory that he speaks of there at the end of verse 26? It is the glory that he shows now on this mountain of transfiguration. When he is transfigured, his clothing became his face, verse 29. His face became different. His face was shining like the sun and his clothing became white and gleaming. And then two men are with him, Moses and Elijah. So, We could ask the question, well, do we have any examples? And who are these men who deny themselves and take up their cross to follow Jesus? And who are men who give up this world to follow Christ in his eternal kingdom? He gives us two examples now on the mountain, Moses and Elijah. We remember Moses and what he was like. I read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And he he, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses was a man who took up his cross and followed Jesus. And so was Elijah. So here is Jesus in his glory. And he sets Moses and Elijah before his disciples now as two examples of men who did the things that he mentions back in the previous verses. And they are now with him and they are in glory. And they have been glorified. So it's as if Jesus is telling his disciples, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me and lose this present world, this is the glory that you will obtain in the world to come. And he shows them Moses and Elijah in their glory with him. And this is the glory that he will return with on the last day. So we need to consider the future. Eternity. In heaven and in hell. And we need to consider that we need to walk on the narrow way by the terms that Jesus gives us here in this passage.
The devil tempted Jesus with all the things of the world if he would forsake God and his commandments. And he will do the same with us as well. And so God, may God help us to be strong in these matters. The second passage that we want to look at this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Now here we, co- we look at the second part of this theme of traveling on the way. And the title of this message by Jeremy Walker was Strength for the Way. If we are to travel the way, we need strength along the way. And we need supernatural and divine strength to our souls if we are to keep ourselves on that way that leads to eternal life. So here, Deuteronomy 33, and we'll read some verses. Chapter 33, verses 1 through 5. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the son of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, And he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. Indeed, he loves the people. All thy holy ones are in thy hand. And they followed in thy steps. Everyone receives of thy words. Moses charged us with a law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun when the heads of the peoples when the heads of the people were gathered the tribes of Israel together and then we'll read down verse 24 through 25 he gives blessings on the 12 tribes of Israel and we pick up the last of them on Asher in verse 24 and of Asher he said more blessed than sons is Asher May he be favored by his brothers. May he dip his foot in oil. Your locks or your shoes in the King James shall be iron and bronze. And according to your days, so shall your leisurely walk be. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help. And through the skies is his majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. So Israel dwells in security. The fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. So your enemies shall cringe before you, and you shall tread upon their high places. The wilderness, the 40 years of the nation of Israel in the wilderness is now past. And Moses, in the next chapter, will die 
and be taken to the Lord. And these are his final words to the sons of Israel. The 40 years of wilderness are over. The promised land is before them. And they will enter that land, but there will be wars. There will be many troubles, difficulties that lie ahead of them. And so Moses gives here promises to the nation of Israel. All the promises of God are true to us in Jesus Christ. And these promises are true to us as well for us in our circumstances as new covenant believers. We want to look at the words at the end of verse 25. And in the King James Bible, they could, the words could be translated differently. And I will use the words as they're translated in the King James and the New King James. And those words, the second phrase in verse 25, read, As your days, so shall your strength be. As your days, so shall your strength be. A famous word that perhaps you've heard in other places before. And it is, we want to consider it in four different ways. First, it is a word of promise to us. As your days, which means as the events of the days of your life. As you pass through the trials and the troubles that lie ahead of you. And your experiences. As your days, as the events of your life, so shall your strength be, which is strength that comes from the Lord. It is first a word of promise. All the days of God's people in this world will be days in which they will have the strength of God given to them. Whatever trials they may enter into, whatever troubles lie ahead of them, the God of heaven knows all of them and whatever need, whatever circumstance we will find ourselves in, the needs of his people are those things that stir up his heart to supply us with strength and grace in every time of need. He sees all that we experience. And so he makes this gracious promise to us. It is not just a word that has an empty meaning to it, as if someone is parting on a journey and you might say to them, well, I wish all things go well for you. And you have no strength and you have no ability to help them as they make their way. And you say, well, best riddings and may it be well with you. And that's all you can say. That's not what God is saying here. He is setting them toward the promised land as he sets us toward the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And he is promising to us here that in all the days, in every day, in every trial, trouble, circumstance of this present world that we must pass through, in every one of them, he will send to us strength, his strength from heaven. As your days, as many as them as there will be to the very end, you will have my strength. So it is a, not an empty word, that men might speak to another, but it is a word of divine promise, a word of divine faithfulness. To us, second thing we can say is that it is a word of knowledge concerning the future. Because the God who speaks this promise as your days, so shall your strength be the God who speaks this promise is the omniscient God. 
the God who knows all things and who knows all that we will pass through all of our troubles and trials in this present life. For us, the future is unknown. For us, the future is dark, and we cannot see any of it. There may be things that we imagine which create fear and dread, anxiety in our hearts, and those things may never take place. They are simply matters of our own imagination and fear. But there are other things that will take place because there are many trials and tribulations that we must go through before we enter the kingdom of God, but God knows those things. If we knew those things now, what fear we would have. It is, in a sense, a very great blessing to us that we cannot see what lies ahead of us. But in whatever trial we enter into, and whatever comes upon us at any day of our lives, there will always be sufficient grace to be given to us and strength from God. As your days, as your trials shall be, so shall be your strength from heaven to your soul. Everything is known and everything is planned by him. Whatever lies ahead of us, He is the God who knows the end from the beginning. Psalm 139 and verse 16 says, In thy book they were all written, referring to the days of our lives. In thy book they were all written according to his eternal plan, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. The third thing we can say here is that this is a word of power. Because he has power to meet all of our needs. If we were to take all of our troubles, even in this little room, with this few people and all of our troubles, all of our sufferings, all of our temptations that swirl around us and we gathered them all together, how varied, how many they would be. And we would ask the question, well, who can possibly meet all of these needs? And we have no power, we have no strength to do anything in the midst of all of these troubles and dangers that we experience. But the God of heaven is all-loving. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He has all grace. He is all sufficient for all the demands of his people at all times. If we knew a very rich man and he had a great bank account and he said to us, you can draw money from my account or whatever your needs might be. And then we all began to draw money from the accounts to pay, from his one account to pay our bills. What would happen? His account would shrink. His account would become less and less, and eventually he would have nothing left in his account. But this is not true with the great God of heaven because he is infinite in all of his supplies for all of our needs. He is the eternal God, and he is always ready to give. And we may come completely empty 
And we may draw from him all of our needs, all of our strength, wisdom, and grace, and whatever we might need. And there is never any diminishing of the supply that he has for us. We may come again and we may come again to the very end of life. And he is always sufficient. And this is the way it has always been for God's people in every age, in every circumstance. Our circumstances, our needs here are very different from brethren a thousand, five hundred years ago. And they are very different from other people in different parts of the world. But whatever our needs, and our needs are different from one another, from one to the other right here in this room this morning, whatever our needs might be, however varied and different they are, they are all to be supplied by him. As your days, so shall your strength be. He never runs dry. Our weakness, as Jeremy Walker said, our weakness is the platform of his strength. His grace is sufficient for every day of our needs. Not just for one day, but for every day. Let us say that the promise is, as your days, as your days, as many as your days might be, so shall your strength be on every one of those days. And so the promise is for every day. What if, what if the promise were only for one day? And the Lord gave the promise to us, and he said, on one particular day, you may come and ask, and I will give you the promise that my grace will be sufficient for you, and my power will be perfected in your weakness at that time. So we would say to ourselves, well, what I need, to, I need to make use of this promise on a particular day. There is one day in my life where he has promised this to me. And so perhaps we would save the promise and because we think something will come in the future. And on that day in the future, we will need the promise. But then perhaps trials come and temptations come and the day passes. And then we look back and we say, we wish we had used it back there. What day, what day will we choose to use the promise, is the question. But the promise is not limited to any particular day. The promise is to us for all of our days. As all your days shall be, so shall your strength always be. So we make it make use of all of his promises on every day of our lives because he is the infinite God who is unending in all of his supply of grace and help to us. He measures out his divine wisdom, his power, his love to us, not before it is required, but as it is required by the troubles of each day. We do not need to fear what might possibly come. We can live day by day in trust and confidence in him. The last thing we say this morning is that this is also, this promise is also a word of love to us. If we look back to Verse 3 of this chapter. 
He says, indeed, indeed, this is most certain. There is no question about this here. No doubt can be raised over this. He loves the people. The great God of heaven, he loves his own people in this world. Indeed, he does. And he always gives them help and strength and grace. All thy holy ones, all we may refer that to his people, they are in his hand. We are in the hands of the Son and in the hands of the Father, and there is no one who can snatch us out of his hands. And they followed in thy steps. We follow in the steps of Christ. We follow him on the narrow way that leads to life. And everyone receives thy words. Our hearts have been opened by the Holy Spirit in regeneration to receive the word of God through which strength comes to us. So it is a word of strength that he gives to us. Then we look down to verse 29, the last verse of the chapter. Beginning of verse 27, he says, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and everlasting, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Does he have strength that is sufficient for us? Yes, he's an eternal dwelling place, and he has everlasting arms for us. And then verse 29, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Who is like us? Believers in our Lord Jesus Christ who follow the Lord Jesus. How blessed we are that we are those who have been saved. We have been saved by the Lord Jesus and by the blood of his cross. Who could ever be more blessed than us? Our sins have been forgiven. We are justified and we are forever freed from the penalty of our sins. He is a shield. He is the shield of your help. The sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall cringe before you, and you shall tread them upon high places, upon their high places. We shall have victory over all of our enemies in the end, over sin, over death, over the devil, and over the world. We shall have victory over all of our enemies in the end because of the great power of our Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us. He has loved us here. It is a promise of his love, an everlasting love. <coughs> he, cannot, he would not forsake his nation Israel. They were about to enter the promised land. He will open up the Jordan River for them. They will walk through on dry land. He will bring them into that land and conquer the nations and give the promised land to them. And in the same way, he cannot forsake us who believe in his beloved son, Jesus, because his beloved son has shed his own blood upon a cross. How could he forsake us as we seek to enter into the eternal promised land? He will open up the river of death and we will pass through and find ourselves in that promised land that he has freely given to us. We must rely upon him. We must trust him. He will love us to the end. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As for your days, so shall your strength be. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will provide you the way of escape that you may be able you may be able to resist it as your days to the very end of life so shall your strength be we come to the end of life our strength becomes less we become weaker in our bodies does this limit the power of god to help us our minds become weaker our bodies become frail we have no strength but he still has strength to help us to the very end. And then when we come to the end of life, is that the end of his power? No. We will enter into completely, fully, into the glory of the power of his kingdom forever. It will be only the beginning of our experience of his great power and love and glory. Matthew Henry writes, It is a promise that God would graciously support them under their trials and troubles, whatever they might be. And he says that God will wisely proportion their graces and comforts to the services and sufferings he calls them out to. He will wisely give us everything that we need at the, do, at the right time. And Matthew Henry says, Have they work appointed them? They shall have strength to do it. Have they burdens appointed them? They shall have strength to bear them and never be tempted above that which they are able. Faithful is he that has thus promised and has caused us to hope in this promise. When the end comes and the last day appears, unbelievers will have no shield, they will have no strength to stand, They will have no protection, and they will have no hope. But those who have followed Jesus and followed him on that way of cross-bearing, giving up, self-sacrificing, according to his word, they will have all strength to stand before him, and they will be shielded, and they will be protected on the day of wrath, And it will be a day of salvation and a day of eternal blessing for them. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, anyone is invited to follow Jesus. And come and believe and cast all your sins upon him and be forgiven of all your sins and be right with God and yet take up your cross as well and follow him to the end. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for great mercy and grace that has been given to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the word of Jesus. Thank you for the promises that are freely given to us to give us strength along the way 
and to give us the hope of eternal life. Have great mercy upon us, Lord Jesus. May we, each one of us, here today, hear your voice speaking to us in the scriptures. May it be a living and powerful word to our souls. May you give life to the dead. May you give new hearts to those who need you. Have mercy upon us as your people. Forgive us of many sins. Keep us faithful to you. Help us, Lord Jesus, that each one of us would be able to discern the way in which we should walk and to do your will and be pleasing to you. Lord, help us to endure whatever sufferings, whatever trials, whatever crosses may come. May we know that your strength will always be sufficient for us in every time of need. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be with us now and bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen.